0: Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery, and today I'm excited to have Harin Gokul who's a Head of Customer Success at AWS, Harini is a recognized thought leader in leveraging cloud solutions to accelerate customer transformation. She builds, grows, and scales cloud businesses with over 20 years of global business strategy experience under a at companies like Microsoft, IBM, and AWS. Harini is a recognized thought leader in cloud solutions. Welcome to the show, Harini.
1: Thank you, Rohit. I'm excited to be here.
0: Awesome so you know before the call we 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 talk, we did talk about your journey but but it's interesting that you you started a career in India and you went to US how did the how did your uh, how did you get your start in in, in in the world of technology and startups
1: Yeah it's a great question you know um, and you might your listeners might find this familiar but um, Uh, In I grew up all over the world, but mainly in India. And I was presented two career options: I could be a doctor, or I could be an engineer, or I could get married. Um, And I chose to be an engineer. But as I went through engineering school, what really attracted me was the possibility and opportunities of translating technology into human impact. Um, And I want so technology and the discipline of engineering I loved. But what I really enjoyed was how could you take that technology and make people's lives better. And that has been my theme that has kept me in technology these 20 years my first role out of school out of engineering school was working for a bank in india helping them roll out uh, a network of atms in rural india and elsewhere and that really made that promise of technology come true right it was fancy atm technology but it was helping uh, people in rural India get access to cash, access to money easier, faster, more secure. Um, and that has been my theme during my years at Microsoft and and now during my time at AWS.
0: Interesting. And yeah, how did you transition from India to U.S.? Was it through a job or did you take a, an education to move to U.S.?
1: Yeah, it's it's another good question. Um, so my first role, as I said, was at a bank. It was at the it was the the credit card division, retail credit cards for a bank that was setting up operations in India, and. Um, I worked for the customer experience team, which at that time I think was called customer support, very transactional name. But it was, you know, day in and day out, um, I spent 12 hours listening to angry customers on the phone or walking in. And as I looked at that and I said, how could we make this experience better? Right? What? Why do we wait for a customer before things break down and they have to come engage with us in a fashion when clearly they are not at their best and we are not at our best? And that got me thinking about customer experience and what satisfaction looked like and delight looked like. And I wrote a paper. And that paper made its way to Vanderbilt University in the U.S., uh, where which had a uh, a department that focused on customer journeys and experience, and that led me that led them to offer me an opportunity to come do an MBA with a mini PhD in customer experience and and lifetime value, and that is how I ended up in the U.S.
0: Super, super interesting, and uh, you know, uh, you you work with AWS, and that's been one of one of the greatest, you know, SAS stories. Uh, how does customer success work at AWS? You know, it's, uh, I, I, Amazon is famous for its crappy culture, but but what sets it apart? And you know, how, how do you you look at customer success in this company?
1: Right. Um, I love working at AWS, representing customer success because everyone here is customer obsessed. Right? right. It's in the DNA of Amazon and AWS to be customer obsessed, which means um, you know you're always thinking about the customer. There is this legendary story that you know every meeting room has a chair that's open because to represent the customer that we should be focused on and thinking about it. And I can tell you the good news is all of the strategy talk is real. We walk the talk in a very real way, right? Everything I do starts with what is the customer problem that I'm trying to address? And then you work backwards from there to say, if this is the problem, if my customer is trying to do this, here is how I can help them. So, I think of all places to do customer success, AWS is a is a good place to do it because I'm fortunate to have an extended team of stakeholders, whether it's sales or product or engineering or others, who are always leaning in to make sure that we are delivering what the customer wants in a proactive, uh, strategic fashion.
0: Interesting, and uh, uh, you know, Harini, you call yourself as an entrepreneur. Uh, so, can you, can you can you talk through you know what does an entrepreneur do and how's it different from an entrepreneur? Yeah,
1: it's a uh, another great point. You know, I've always um, I've worked for two of the largest companies on the planet, Microsoft and Amazon, and but I tell the story that working for the largest billion-dollar companies means you can have million-dollar startups under the purview of their public companies, right? Um, At Microsoft, I had eight roles, all of them which involves building, growing, and scaling businesses from scratch. Um, Similarly, at AWS, when I came in, the customer success muscle for some of our segments was not defined, and I've helped build that muscle from scratch. And That's being an entrepreneur, right? It's about recognizing a problem and working on it and building and growing a team, an organizational discipline and a functional discipline to address what your customer wants, but under the umbrella of a large public corporate company. So I'm a, I'm a startup founder at heart. I've just done it for publicly listed companies.
0: Interesting. And uh, you know, uh, we, we do have a lot of startup uh, entrepreneurs who are listeners. Uh, when do you think you know a founder should look at hiring a customer success? And and do you think a CEO can hack this position or should they hire uh, somebody uh, for this particular role?
1: Oh, another great question. Um, I, I get asked that a lot, right? When do you hire? And I say from day zero because a founder is, by nature, customer obsessed. It's why you set out to do what you did, right? You found a problem that couldn't be solved and you're working to solve it. So, yes, of course, everybody, a founder, if he, she, or they have the CEO hat on, or your leadership team needs to have the customer obsession muscle built into the organizational DNA. And in addition, I think you need somebody who can be the voice of that customer, who's independent of all other functions, who can bring the voice of customer into your organization and make sure that we are addressing, addressing and thinking about it and listening and learning from it. Uh, very early on, I recommend that your customer success Talent be within your product teams because what you want is this very strong feedback cycle on your product, right? You're looking for product market fit, you want to get that feedback quickly from your first biggest marquee customers. So you just bake that into your product. And as then as you scale and grow, then you know I find that the customer role often sits independently. The CCO role sits and reports to the CEO, and/or it sits and reports into the CRO, the chief revenue officer. And I'm equal six and half a dozen on one because I, the sales experience to me, especially in a SaaS world, is all about consumption and usage. And as a result, uh, is just so intertwined with the customer experience that I think that we should be thinking about customer experience and sales as on the same journey. So um, you start with CS and product, and then as you grow, you think about it as a role reporting directly to the CEO or reporting to your CRO, Chief Revenue Officer
0: interesting and and what do you think what is the most important metric for customer success is it customer retention or uh, or do you think it's net revenue retention on on the revenue side
1: again it depends it depends where you are right so i think it's uh, there are really two or three things you want to understand one are your customers staying with you right which is your retention metric If they are staying with you, are they using you? So you need a way to measure active usage, consumption. What services are they using with you uh, in a real way? Right. And then thinking about all up, whether you're doing a better job retaining versus leaving is your NRR metric. And, you, and I think that's one of the most important things a leadership team should measure. But the net being you could think about NRR, you could think about NSAT, right, your customer satisfaction at a leadership at a board level. And then as you go down the organization, down your teams, you need to have more uh Double click metrics that help you understand really the work you're doing with the customer. And I'll give you an example. Um, I'm a big believer that customer success helps accelerate velocity in value for our customers, right? You are a customer, you're going to get to your journey regardless of us. You will generally figure out how to adapt a product. The team needs to do a good job of accelerating that time to value for you. And so all of my teams, we measure how we accelerate time to value. Um, and how have we done a good job with that? So, I'll leave you by saying that uh, satisfaction, retention, usage, and time to value are four pillars that I recommend um, to look at for customer success.
0: to so I have an interesting stat for you to you denote know that the founder of beautiful lives, Increase the social media presence by 10x. They manage to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called Social Pilot. Social Pilot is a cost-effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts. Use Lifelmastery.com slash social pilot to get a 14-day free trial. Correct. And and when do you think you should start uh, measuring these metrics? Do you think uh, you know, if you don't have great numbers to show, do you think they they should start uh, uh, the, the CEO or the customer success guy should start looking into this metrics on day one?
1: Of course. Why not, right? You, know, you want to know. When you're starting, you want showcase customers, marquee customers who will go up on stage with you, who will be your references, right? The folks right. you'll point everybody to. So, that's the fifth thing. When you're starting out, I always want to know how many reference customers. Companies like Microsoft will, will put up slides saying 70% of Fortune 100 are ours, right? right? So, it's uh, you day zero. You need to always have a pulse on who your customer is, how they feel about you, and how you can help them better.
0: Correct, and uh, you know, I've been I've been into sales, business development, partnerships, but we you always get to work with customer success. Um, you know what? What are some of the best uh, ways you would say that you know how, how do you build that communication uh, with the sales team so that uh, you know customer success and sales team can work together. And they can yeah. look at you know better retention
1: um I love that i you know i'm doing a I talk about this a lot that i so, uh, customer success has many best friends, but our two best friends are product and sales. Okay. And product is important, especially again in a SaaS business, because your customers are buying futures, right? And it's important to have a bi directional dialogue between customers and product and service teams so you can build that trust, earn a seat at the table as the customer decides to build on you or buy elsewhere. Okay. Similarly, from a sales perspective, right? When you think about the one, you know, there is never one sell anymore, right? In a SaaS world, it's multiple. You're selling every day. And we need a very tight, alignment between our sales leaders and our customer success leaders so you have that real time feedback on what the customer finds value what else could we take back to them that's interesting but more importantly to also accelerate onboarding right we go we're always shifting left when we think about the customer journey we want to be there with you right as you close on that sales agreement so there is no time gap between you closing having a sales conversation and then starting your adoption journey or your user journey so so um, I'm in in many for many customers and for many companies, you will see an, a, a deployment model that includes your customer success leader, some sort of a deep technical leader like a solution architect, and your sales leader all being a trio at your customer, because you need those three pillars to get the most value out of your customer experience
0: got it. and uh, you yeah, know Harini you you have hired you know thousands of uh people in your career um, and you've built your own department in AWS uh, what qualities do you look for a, for a, you know prospect to hire especially in customer success um
1: i think they apply regardless of function i look for um high judgment um the, you know high judgment is a muscle you have to build over years but especially in customer-facing roles, you need to exercise high judgment in knowing when to escalate, when to de-escalate, when to have a conversation, when to step back, when to push. And so high judgment is a skill and a capability I look for. A second one is being very comfortable with ambiguity. We, for you know, many of our customers are going through change. We are going through change with them, which means we have to chart a path that is often unknown. And it's important to be comfortable with ambiguity, embrace the unknown, and say, and then still try to create a, a predictable path forward based on what you've learned. Uh, the final, the two other things I'll say is you have to, you have to think big. Right, you have to be very strategic and think proactively and look around the corner for your customers, and finally, ex- uh, excellence in execution. All of this talk is no good if you're not able to walk your talk. So, walking the talk and being very rigorous in how you execute gives you that credibility with the customer.
0: You know, I, I think that's that's really valuable. Uh, also, you know, uh, especially for for young leaders. Uh, what advice would you give for them on how how do you roadmap your your career path? You know, you you really be, believe in the ten 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 uh, formula. Can you can you talk about what what is the 10-10-10 formula?
1: Um, and I, this is advice that I wish I had had many years ago. So um, I take my own advice on this. But many, many years ago, I, uh, my husband and I were thinking about an important personal decision. And we were thinking about a framework to make that decision. And that is how we came up with 10-10-10. Um, and the first 10 is about weeks, 10 weeks. The second 10 is months, 10 months. And the third 10 is years, 10 years. Yeah. And the, our thinking was, you know, most of of us spend time on the urgent, which is normally in 10 weeks, where am I going to go on vacation? What am I going to eat for dinner tonight? Who is the current customer stakeholder I'm working on? 10 weeks and 10 months, we're focused on projects. How many of us spend time thinking about the important the 10 years? What board do you want to be on 10 years? What book do you want to write in 10 years? What do you want to be known for as an expert on in 10 years? Where will you live once you're done working? Or where do you see yourself living? What gives you joy? And I realized that I had gone through my early 30s without asking those questions. And I was functioning on a treadmill, sort of doing this work and moving, but without quite asking these big questions. What did I want to be in 20 years? Did I want to be an investor? Did I want to sit on a board? Did I want to be a startup founder? And if, as an example, if I wanted to sit on a board, I would have. I need to work backwards to say, what are the experiences you need? Operating experience at scale, running multi-billion-dollar p and in order to get a public board seat, right? So I believe. I since then I use ten, ten, ten all the time, and it's especially important on where you spend your time and who you spend it with. We spend a lot of time with people that may necessarily never be in our lives in a few years. Right. Time is the most important thing you have, right? It's 10 p.m. for you in the UK. It's 2.40 2 for me here in the Pacific Northwest. This is an important conversation. You're spending your Friday night here doing this, right? Sure. Um, but so many times we spend time on things or with people and don't think about it. Was this the best use of my time? We spend the time, so it gave me a roadmap on how to spend my time and who to spend it with. Which people did I want in my life? Who did I not want in my life? Um, so I highly recommend the ten 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 as a way to think about where you want to be.
0: No, so I, I I love the framework, and you know, thank you for sh- sharing more on that. And especially when it comes to big decisions, you know, how much time do you think you know somebody should should spend on it? You know, a lot of my, As you rightly like mentioned, you know, people are. Mostly, you know, looking at at the first or the second framework, but when it comes to big decisions, how do you have the clarity and the vision that, you know, this is where you want to go?
1: Yeah, no, I I think it's important. And I think there are a couple of ways to think about it, right? One is um, I look at a decision and I I think about uh, two-way doors more decisions. So, two-way doors is a very Amazonian term, but one that I love in my life, which is most decisions are reversible. They're two-way doors. You walk out, you walk back in, right? Generally, you leave a role, you can walk back into a role or a similar role. Um, Most things in life are two-way doors, but we disproportionately treat every decision like it's a one-way door. Uh-huh. There are very few doors that are one way, right? Having a child. Once you have a child, it's unlikely you will reverse the process. It's probably not possible, uh-huh. right? Sure. Um, when you, But even things like going to school, I have a lot of people ask me, should I do an MBA? Should I do this? Should I? I'm like, Make the decision, go for it. If you decide you're one in school, you're not excited. It doesn't give you what you want. Stop doing it. Uh-huh. So, It freed me up. Thinking about two-way doors frees me up to take decisions. And it moves me away from a fallacy, which is not making a decision. Many of us spend time more than we need to in the jobs we are in, in the relationships we are in, because we are too afraid to make a decision. Right. So it's important to have the spirit of saying, these are two-way doors. I am going to walk away and take a new job. And more often than not, the risk of doing that outweighs any pros of staying back. Um, so, what helps me think about big decisions is two way doors. It's not making a decision. And finally, situationally, what do you want from it? As long as you're clear what's the experience you want, you know, as an example, I moved to the US to go to school without quite knowing a lot of things. What I did know was it's a two way door. I could go back home to India if it didn't work out. Yeah. Turns out, it worked out. I got an internship, I got a job, and then you know, I found a life here. So it's important to think about that situation and then make sure you're not disproportionately obsessing over things that are that may or may not happen.
0: Mailman is an email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. Uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. I I love that framework two way two way i I'm going to use it uh, going forward for my personal as well as professional decisions. Uh, and Um, you're also a big believer that intersectionality makes people better business, business leaders. So, can you explain what, what, what does it really mean to you?
1: Wow, that's a a good code. You pulled it. um, Thank you for reminding me about that. Um, So, look at me, right? So, I am a mother of an eight year old child. Um, I'm a technology operator. I've run multi million billion dollar businesses for the past 20 years. Um, I'm a community volunteer. I am a big policy advocate and I volunteer. I invest and I advise. And I truly believe all of those five things make me better at each thing. Interesting. So, when I sit as an example, as an investor, when I look at like my, um, a, a founder presenting me his, her, or their startup idea, I look at it from many different perspectives. I look at it from an operator's perspective. I look at it from a policy perspective. All of this makes me a better investor. Similarly, knowing what investors look for makes me a better operator, especially with my companies that tend to be startups or others, right? Um, similarly, I bring as a mom, I look out for things in my community schools, safety as an example. And I represent voices in my community that would otherwise not be represented. So every decision we make is the intersectionality of who we are and our lived experiences right and that is why it's important to represent those in all forms of leadership whether it's community leadership whether it's boards um, executive leadership
0: interesting I, I i totally agree that you know intersectionality between uh different roles are always going to help you out later on uh you know in addition to your business and civic leadership roles you you're also an advisor to a lot of private technology companies uh but how do you, how do you decide you know which how how to invest and which companies to advise and you know what what's the general advice to uh, to yeah. new startups
1: it's a great question and it comes back to time who am who am i going to spend my time with right so they have to meet two or three criteria one it's the founders um, I need to see passion, I need to see energy, I need to see the the grit and sort of the zeal in you to that the for the problem you're solving. Second, the problem. The problem does not have to be a moonshot. The problem has to be a problem worth solving. Um, And I generally invest in advice, B2B, enterprise, um, and SaaS companies because that's the space I know best. I don't do consumer. But so for me, boring problems are good problems because it means you can monetize them. It also means they will solve a, a challenge for so many people because, again, everything enterprise technology is at scale. So the net is I look for the founders. It's about the people and it's about the problem they're solving.
0: Got it. And uh, especially when it comes to your teams, how, how do you create a, a safe environment where your team uh, can, you know, push back on you, on your decisions and, yeah. and, and tell you, you know, how they feel?
1: Yeah. Um, I, I'm a big believer in psychological safety and we all do our best when we are able to bring our full self to work. Um, I grew up managing in Western Europe and the Nordics and that sort of flat egalitarian style has really influenced me and um, I was fortunate to have some great leaders when I was starting out and I hopefully I've learned well from them. But one way to do that or a couple ways to do that is you know one um, always being a one team, you know, I'm not big on hierarchy or Titles, you know, it's important. Each one of us has a perspective that's unique and it's all respected. So, as an example, with my teams, I do a what's the word of the day. I'm just coming out of a team meeting, so it's good timing. We all, regardless of how many people are on a call, we always, everyone has their voice and they share what was their thing of the day. And you get to know people, how they're feeling, their sentiment. When it's about a specific topic, there's a leadership principle I use called disagree and commit. Which means you can debate and disagree. Everybody's perspective is welcome. But at the end of the day, once you agree on a path forward, you've disagreed, and then you've all committed to following that path. So we get time to disagree, be vocal, be self-critical, talk about what we want to see, and then we come together and have
0: a path forward. Very interesting, and. Um... And you've been, you know, promoted internally in in Microsoft and AWS and yeah, you know, other companies. How do you approach uh, internal role migration, especially for your team members and you know listeners uh, who are in the corporate world? Um, I
1: I think it's it's a that's a whole other podcast. It deserves an hour of its own right. because we. You need to invest in yourself to say what is required of me as I move up through the organization. When I get bigger teams, my job becomes less doing, but more leading. Oh. Am I being the best manager I can the leader I can for my teams what are they what do they need for a great culture for them to do their jobs well? how am I supporting them? So making that transition from an individual contributor to a first line leader to a second line leader and beyond, I think each one of these are significant steps that we need to step back and think about deeply and ask for help right like as an example, am I running to still execute? How do I learn to stay back, listen to more people's perspectives, let them fight, do their mistakes in a way that, that you can still make sure you know, they can recover from their mistakes? So I think it's important to be very thoughtful about the evolution and spending time to make sure you're building your muscle that helps with each stage. You
0: know, what, what, are, what are some of the cultural hallmarks that you modeled for your team? Uh, especially when it comes
1: to AWS? It's a scrappy culture. Okay. Um, So the Amazon LPs definitely pride themselves on bias for action and being scrappy. My own model is to, um, you will hear two things from me, um, walk the talk and make it happen. It's very important for me that we show, not tell. Um, it's important that you are walking the talk and doing the hard work. I do the hard work before I ask my teams to do the hard work, and it's important to do that. Second, it's important to make it happen. Start somewhere, do something. Don't wait for the cavalry to come rescue you. If you have an idea, get started.
0: Quite wonderful. And um, I quickly wanted to do the top three. What's a favorite business book?
1: Uh, range by David Epstein. Um, I believe, especially in this world of product-led growth, there is not enough focus on pattern matching and looking broadly across topics and being able to think about them. So, range, I think, is a, is an attribute that all leaders need to have.
0: Got it. We'll put that in the show notes. And um, if you could go back in time when you started your career, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently?
1: Focus on building a great network, um, a network of uh, sort of rocks that you can lean on, um, and uh, sort of, uh, and uh, and as well, people who will challenge you to do better, um, and a distributed network that extends beyond your immediate profession, but people that are loosely connected to you so you can keep yourself. Um, inspired. You can keep thinking about what could I do next and having all kinds of people in your network, whether they are peers, whether they are leaders, having a diverse portfolio of, uh, in your network. I really struggled building that network and sponsorship in my early years. And that is the one thing I would fix if I went back.
0: Got it. Wonderful. And do you have your favorite online tools? for example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom?
1: Yes, you and I talked about it, Calendly. Calendly. If the Calendly co-founder, um, Tope, is listening, um, <laughs> I would love to write you a check. Um, Calendly has been my, uh, just has incredibly enhanced productivity for me because it gives me control of my time. It also gives me control of who to give that time to. Um, so Calendly is my favorite tool. Yeah, no,
0: absolutely. Calendly is one of my, my favorite tools. Love uh, uh, you know the, the founder on the pod sometime uh, and uh, Harim, uh, Harim, what what is the best way people can reach out to you and and, and get to know you better
1: LinkedIn please
0: got it we'll, we'll put that in the show notes um, Harim thank you so much for taking your time and speaking to us I really enjoyed making absolutely
1: take care Rohit
0: thanks for listening to the life self-mastery podcast where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.